Yesterday and hear all the stories that you probably haven't heard about before. This week is part one or two of the season finale, so to speak, if we're calling them seasons. I don't know, but it's a two-part episode because I ended up talking to this guest for like four hours and it was like 2 a.m. by the time we finished. Anyway, <laughs> my guest this week is Jay Warren, who is also formerly a resident hero. Last week we talked to Ryan, this week is Jay, who was the drummer of that band. Uh, and since then, he's been a uh, drummer for hire for a lot of really high-profile country acts, actually. Uh, and he tells us all about it. Tells me all about his musical history and tells some hilarious, absolutely hilarious live stories uh, from the road when they were touring with Flyleaf and a couple of other bands, as well as just his just crazy insight and 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 to the world of music whenever you're living on the west coast and in la and i'm not going to keep rambling on because this is a super long episode sort of this one and the next one if you put them both together anyway there's a whole lot of stuff to listen to listen to it it's really great enjoy and ever blah, 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 blah. old man jay does not use technology i know right hey there we go <laughs> I, I was I, I wanted to make sure that i that i was able to set this up properly because i wanted to get this let me if I, I wanted to get this in the shot that was really like I, this it had to be there because this was given to me on christmas in like 2007 or something pat seals from flyleaf made that Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he made he made he made him and the way he made him was he carves the image in this big log, like a big round piece of wood. And yeah. he dunks it in this ink and then he rolls it out on this various types of paper and that's the end result. So that's oh. it looks like a painting but it's a wood carving. Wow. Yeah, cuz from here yeah, it just looks like a, a painting, but what is that? Is it like an it looks like an angel wings? I can't really tell what that is from here. Bird. Oh, it's a bird. Yeah. With oh, okay. Yeah, it looks like a phoenix. Yeah, and uh, he made he, Pat. Pat made three of them, and he gave one to me, and one to Luke, and one to Ryan. <coughs> That's cool. Yeah, it's awesome. So yeah, yeah. framed, and I've and I've taken it with me everywhere. I love it. It's one of my favorite pieces of art ever. That's really cool. Yeah. How you been, dude? I haven't talked to you in. Geez, like years, maybe, other than like the stray weird Facebook comment. Yeah, it's been a while. I think the last time, uh, the last time I saw you, I think you came to, you were in Texas. Uh, I see, shit, man. At that time, I think I was in the process of remodeling commercial property that I had mm -hmm. uh, for a private lessons music business that I started. I did that for a few years. It was great. Um, it, it, it went very well. Uh, I got to a point with it where, I was either going to have to stop touring and recording uh, to dedicate hundred percent of my time to that, or I was going to need to kind of pass it on to somebody that could grow it and, and could run it. Uh, so mm -hmm. go back to touring and recording full time. Um, at the time uh, being on the road and making records was still like primary, like source of income for me. Uh, so I ended up selling that business and did okay with it. And uh, the lady that bought it had a, had a pre-existing business that was somewhat similar. So she just dug mm -hmm. my roster of teachers and students into her own and, and she's going great guns. I, th nice. I think she may have actually closed down during COVID, but the business was going very well for a while. That's cool. 
Yeah, because yeah, I remember that because you had me take a look around. There it was very empty, and but you were yeah, you were just getting started. Yeah, man, man, I wish you could have seen it. I think there, I got some pictures on my social media shit of it once it was done. It was a beautiful space, man. It, I, I had a lot of good, a lot of good times teaching out of there and uh, just writing and, and working on music out of there. It was it was cool. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. I have the means to do something related to something creative instead of being a cable guy because that's that's what i do and uh it's fine i like it but i just like sometimes i'm like i kind of wish i had a job doing something that not that my job's not fulfilling but you know it's like i don't know something something more creative other than fixing other people's problems which feels good until i mean you know what summer is like down here in the south it's like a billion degrees and it as soon as i step out of my van it's like i'm in the shower and i'm like yeah, and then, and then on a job site, you're crawling around in fucking attics and shit for hours at a time. Like, I get it. But you know what, man? Let me tell you something. It's, it, it's all risk to reward. Um, you know, I, I, the, I, I, I had to, on the one hand, I got to do what I wanted to do, and I get to make my own schedule, and I get to do the kind of work that I want to do. But on the other hand, it, uh, man, it's a freelance existence, man. So I'm constantly hustling, constantly having to generate my own work, constantly having to generate opportunities to make my own income. Uh, I, you know, it, it, I, I imagine it'd be there's a little bit of a weight off your shoulders. You know, nobody's got the perfect fucking job, but I mean, there's a little bit of weight off your shoulders if you know that the company that you work for is going to be there tomorrow. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. You get a paycheck every two weeks. You know, it doesn't even give you a second thought that it's going to clear when you put it in the bank. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you dedicate yeah. years of your life to that company and you get things like benefits or retirement or 401k, you know, for people like, like anybody that does what I do for a living, you work for yourself, man. And, and there is, there's nothing like that. Like your insurance, your retirement, your taxes, man, it all comes out. You have to take care of all that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I was thinking about recently when I was going through to talk to people about this, I'm like, you know, for, for the period of time when I was like, yeah, music is great. You know, getting all involved in here. I'm like, this would be cool. How great would it be to, you know, be in a band, go on tour, do all these things. And then as I'm getting older, it's like, yes, that stuff would be amazing, but it doesn't work the same way as, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago or whatever where you feel like you're secure. Maybe it never was. You feel secure. But it's just like you said, it's like you're constantly, my, my livelihood depends on what I do today. And it, you know, but as I get older, I'm like, all I've ever wanted in life is just a sense of security. And I'm like, yeah. that's what a nine to five job is going to give you. It may be soul crushing, but yeah, as long as I do my job, I, I, I can keep my house, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, man, no matter what you do, obviously, like I said, man, no job is perfect. Um, no matter what it is, no matter, no, no job is perfect. But uh, I do believe that while that's true, it's also any job is what you make it. Um, and, and if you put a hundred percent of yourself into it and, and do it with a good attitude and a, and a positive outlook, and uh, I think if you really make yourself an asset to the organization that you're working with, there's no reason you can't enjoy your work no matter what you're doing. You know, oh, yeah. you're always going to be better than others, man. <laughs> there are those days where you don't want to get out of fucking bed. Uh, but I think if, if you if you still make the effort of giving 100 percent of yourself and your attention to it, you, there's no reason that you can't enjoy what you're doing to some degree. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You doling out life advice here. This is not what I came for. <laughs> a lot of failure. <laughs> it it always does. You have you have to go down before you figure out how to get back up. That's that's always yeah. yeah. It's like like whenever I started doing this, I, I made it like a short list. Of, it's mostly 
um, it's mostly friends and people that I played in shows with and bands around here, but I'm like, why don't I talk to people that actually made it through there? I mean, as far as like any, any level of success that I've had music, I'm like, you, you've been like way up here. You never, you know, were on a major label and on MTV and things like that, but you still got up in there. I'm like, I call Jay let's see if he still will talk to me. And he'll be like, Oh good. So he's in there. I have, I have a small list of people that I can do that with. And I'm like, you have a wealth of knowledge of experience and things that I have never experienced. And I'm like, I will live vicariously through your fun stories. (laughs) (laughs) Well, man, uh, you know, there, there are good experiences and bad experiences. I think, you know, Ryan, Ryan White used to say this a lot. And I think he was totally fucking right when he said it, like any label, like, you know, we had our, our dealings with major labels and independent labels. And, and since I moved back to Texas from Los Angeles, um, I've had even more experience with major labels and independent labels and management companies and booking agencies that are operating at very high levels and then at very local or regional levels as well. Um, I've been I've been very blessed that I got to kind of run this full spectrum um, pretty extensively. And uh, it's interesting to see how, how those things all correlate together. But Ryan, I, I digress. Ryan used to fucking say any label can be your best friend or your worst enemy. And I think he was hundred percent right. And I'll add a little, a, a little asterisk to that. I think every label is both your best friend and your worst enemy, you know, um, I bet. you know, you're all, you're all working towards the same goal and it's not just labels. It can be a, a legal team or a fucking management team or a fucking agency. It, it can be any entity that is dealing with a single act. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody ultimately has the same goal sort of, um, but there are, you know, the phrase, there are many roads to Rome. Um, they're not always traveling at the, on the same path to a shared destination. You know what I mean? And uh, that sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that can lead to great success for an act. Um, uh, sometimes it can lead to the complete, utter crash burning failure <laughs> of the act. And uh, that happens a lot. I bet. I, I, you know, a, a couple of the, the, some of the, the stories that you guys have told me over the years, I'm like, oh, this is uh, a tumultuous journey that I don't know anything about because me being on, on, on this side of the, the table here, I'm like, oh, I, my, my favorite band posts a link on their, on their MySpace page saying, hey guys, we're touring this summer. But in reality, there's like 9 million other things that, that gets you to that point. And it's like, everything's great. But back here, it's like, no, it's not. Everything's on fire, you know, so. <laughs> all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, um, you, yeah, they, a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times you, you end up kind of flying by the seat of your pants and even within each, within any, any, any band's organization, um, you always hope that there's a fucking adult in charge, but there's not, <laughs> there never is. <laughs> everybody's, oh. everybody's going, shit, I hope this fucking works. You know what I mean? Like nobody fucking knows. Nobody's got to see Nobody knows it, you're, you're just doing the best you can, you know, try not to be too broke so long that everyone quits. You know what I mean? Right. Would you believe this is the first time I've ever used zoom? Really? Yeah. First time. I- first time. Of course, you know, before last year, I'd never even heard of Zoom, you know, it's a, every, everything, but, you know, it's born, I'm sure it existed beforehand, but it really came out of necessity when everybody's like, oh no, we have to work from home. 
So I'm thinking, oh, well, we've got Discord, you've got Skype. Nobody uses Skype. As soon as you're like, I've got Skype, I'm like, I don't even know if I still have Skype. I do, but I haven't used it in like 15 years. Me neither. The only reason I have Skype now is because I bought a new laptop to handle a bunch of my administrative shit. And I like dovetailed all of my stuff into Outlook and into MS Office Suite and all that shit. And uh, a Skype subscription comes with your, when you buy the new MS Office package. Oh, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I got it. I haven't set it up. I haven't yeah. used it. But yeah, man, I'll be honest. While, while the while the world was uh, reorientating itself around video conferencing and the use of Zoom and various <laughs> things, uh, man, I I went I went to work in studios and uh, you know, dude, I'm in Texas. I'm in Central Texas, and uh, the first cup, the first maybe month of everything everybody was really kind of hunkered down and distancing and you know doing their thing but i think it's there there was you know in texas anyway a number of other places but in texas there was a, a much shorter curve before the time where most people went okay fuck this and kind of started <laughs> getting back to their lives and like yeah. a lot of the you know bars and venues and places that we would go work were closed but Man, I've been making country music for the last decade, specifically Texas country music for the last decade. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of our fan base are, you know, property owners and, you know, land and cattle people. And they were like, hey, man, fuck it. If we can't go out, how about I throw you guys some money? Come fucking play on a flatbed in my back 40. And we're like, okay. <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, I, I we were very blessed, man. Uh, work didn't really slow down for us a whole hell of a lot. And, uh you know, everybody was being real quiet and very hush hush about shit, but, uh, a lot of people didn't really stop. And, uh, we, so I never had to figure out how to use zoom <laughs> like, uh -huh. this whole time. Like last year, everybody's been living on it. I'm like, I haven't touched it. I haven't needed to. Yeah. Yeah. Same with me. I didn't, I, I got zoom, I think over on Christmas. Cause that's when I was like, we're all using zoom. That's how we're going to do it this year. Uh, but at work we use, uh, teams, Microsoft teams. Okay. So I'm like, oh, okay. But I, I still don't really know how to use it to somebody. I was doing training earlier this week and somebody's like, oh, you can, the whole company's database of people are in here. And I'm like, you can call people through zoom or call yeah, their zoom or keep calling it zoom through teams and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, I can do this and this. I'm like, I have no idea. But yeah, last year they just threw it at us. It was like, we can't all meet in the warehouse anymore. So meet, pull up to the warehouse in your van and then we'll do a video call and like, you know, no, no offense to my boss or anything. He doesn't know how to use it either. So he's holding his phone. And he's, you know, so it's facing the other way. He's like, can you guys see me? And we're like, no, or he's like, got it right here. I'm like, all right, well, nobody knows how to do this. It's like, yeah, yeah. Hey, tell your boss. That's my game. Stop stepping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I appreciate your patience. I was figuring out how to use it. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. But I, I'm, it's, it's funny to me that I mean, not, not that the world, you know, caught on fire throughout the whole year, but it's funny to me that it, it, when this started happening and everybody's like, oh yeah, we can communicate each other through video conferencing and made it affordable and easy for everybody to do when it's been around forever. And especially, you know, I'm thinking of like uh, a lot of bands around here and maybe studios were like taking advantage of this. They're like, oh, well, we'll stream your show. Come, come to my studio, play and we'll stream the show off on YouTube or this, whatever. And I was thinking about that. There's an email that I sent um, to my guys like a year before that. And I'm like, hey, we haven't played in a long time. We probably never will again. But I'm like, we have an anniversary coming up. I'm like, we could, let's do it. Let's do a digital thing. I'm like, people aren't doing that. It's new and it'll be something cool to do. And yet 
everybody in the world, all bands are streaming all the time and using Twitch. And I'm like, this was my time. And I, once again, it just flew on by me. And I'm like, <laughs> oh man. Well, you know what, dude, the good news is, uh, things are beginning to open up again. I, I put it this way, even for the places that opened up early. Um, I think I'm starting to notice now that even the people who for the last couple of months were still kind of staying at home or still masking up when they went out anywhere, those people are now starting to relax and come out and be a little more comfortable being out. Um, you know, I, th I think not too, not, not too much longer in the future, you're not going to need to worry about streaming your content as much. Um, I think yeah. you'll be able to go out there and, and fucking rock some houses and melt some fucking faces. Maybe. That we're all old and, and tired now. Fuck that, dude. You guys, <laughs> you guys are puppies, man. You still got it in you, dude. You yeah, I don't know. Like I, <laughs> even even when we were actively playing shows, if they're like, "Oh, you guys are headlining," I'm like, "Cool. When are we? When are we going on?" Oh, like uh, eleven. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna do that. but I go to a show and they're like, "You're gonna open. So you're gonna open at 8 I'm like, "Sweet. I'm gonna be home and I'm gonna be in my pajamas by nine thirty. This is gonna be great." <laughs> anytime somebody calls me now and they're like hey do you want to come do something i'm like yeah maybe when and they're like oh friday okay cool so what like five six i'm like no no we'll meet at like 9 30 i'm like nah dude i'm in my i'm in my pajamas by six That's, my fucking, uh, pajama and seinfeld time so i'm gonna need to be home a little earlier than that yeah that's like i don't know i've I've been an old man at heart for like the last 20 years. Just for you. Ask anybody who's known me. That's just how I am. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that, man. There's nothing wrong with that. So is there going to be a, a throbbing testicles? Is there going to be a T3 reunion that I can look forward to, to seeing at some point? I don't know. Maybe we, we've, uh, I've been wanting to do that. Uh, and it was kind of out of the question, mostly because of where everybody lives. Um, my bass player doesn't have i think he has good internet now but like my guitarist lives out in the middle like in the woods and he has satellite internet so i'm like well we can't do that with we'd all have to meet together but everybody's all spread apart and everybody else had kids and they're all busy with kids all the time and i'm like but i mean you know sure get your life together be an adult fine whatever but what about me and my needs no, no. so <laughs> bro we've talked about it one of these days but i'm trying to jam on wednesdays so yeah come on guys get it together we have we have to sing songs about food and dogs man come on <laughs> uh yeah well but meanwhile i'm living a life of food and dogs and children and you know paying bills and shit exactly yeah oh. i don't know one one day maybe but i think i think and again, this always cracks me up that I do this, but it's, it's legit. It's like, we've hit that stage uh, of like the Beatles career when they're like, we don't play live anymore. We just record albums. So I'm like, yeah, we're, we're like the Beatles in that sense. We're, we're the recording and not performing. <laughs> obviously, you know, T3, the Beatles, we're on the same level, obviously. <laughs> hey, they blazed a trail. You guys are just going to have to fucking establish yourself in a different way. Exactly. So, you know. We're just, we're just as important, just as relevant. Hey, you know. Sergeant Pepper, I hate bees. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I mean, they, they were on drugs and things and you don't ever always know what they're talking about, but you know, bees, do you like them? You don't like them? It's a very clear cut thing. It's much easier to understand. So I think that gives us, you know, a couple of bumps up. So, you know, better than, better than the Beatles. Here we go. I'm going to say it. I see nothing wrong or hyperbolic in that statement at all. <laughs> oh my gosh 
I, I have often, because again, <laughs> there's like four people who have listened to this. I'm looking at like the stat and thing. I'm like, nobody's listening to this podcast. That's fine. I don't care. It'll, it'll float on the internet. And someday somebody in like Zimbabwe is going to go, Hey, look, I like this, you know, but people, people know of you. Um, Cause I'm like, Oh, my friend Jay. Oh, you mean the Jay that lives down? There? No, no, this is, this is Texas Jay, the Jay that was in a real band. Oh, okay. That guy that you always talk about. Um, but for people who don't know you, um, can you give me like a, just a, a brief rundown? Like I know you've been in like mostly touring things in the last few years, but like where, where have you been musically? I guess take, take me on the journey, the J journey. And um, I, uh, I grew up in central Texas. Um, I was a band nerd, a huge band nerd, loved it, still love it. Um, started touring pretty young. I grew up really close, just, just outside of Austin um, so there were a lot of opportunities to to find bands uh, that, you know, even though even though they was total fucking chaos, they kind of had their shit together. You know what I mean? Like like every, like the the model that had been created by like Fugazi, like the discord bands, like all the, the DIY bands. Mm-hmm. Um, we had we had that as a as a model that we could see all the time. So it really wasn't like a crazy thing for like local smaller baby bands to like knock out a 13 date run up to Chicago and back or some shit. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Um, so I, I got started in that fairly early and, uh, and I loved it, man. It was fucking great. I mean, I, I love, I love the chaos. I love, you know, being on the road with my fucking, with my boys, with my team, you know, like that's a real big, the camaraderie that, that is there can be so fucking awesome, man. Cause you're going through all these really extreme experiences together and mm-hmm. there's no one else that you share those experiences with. And you're not just, you're not just go, having these like individual experiences together on tour. You're fucking living four feet away from each other, 24 hours a day for fucking months, week, days, weeks, or months at a time. Um, right. So there's really no one else that you can, there's no one else that can relate to what you just went through, except the, the people that were like in the van or on the bus with you going through it. Um, so like the, the feeling of camaraderie and, and the, the real team, uh, coming together and making awesome shows happen. That's a fucking cool thing, man. It, it really, it, that's, that's what gets you hooked. You know what I mean? And then yeah. uh, you start figuring out that like, Oh shit, I, I got to figure out how to make some money doing this or else I got to go get a real fucking job and fuck that. I'm from Austin. We don't do that. Fuck that. Uh, so yeah, man, we just like a lot of the bands in that area figured out how to hustle and put together DIY tours. And, you know, nobody's getting rich and retiring being a fucking musician in Austin, Texas. Um, but you know, you can fucking pay some bills with it and not end up homeless living under a bridge, you know, it's possible. Um, so I did that for, for a while. And after I got out of high school, uh, I got, I, I toured for a couple of years, the punk band that I was in and, uh, ended up applying and got accepted to the collective school of music in New York. Um, had a wonderful fucking time there for the years that I was there, uh, experienced a lot of fucking amazing music, got to, you know, be two feet away from some icons of, you know, the drums, especially, uh, it was awesome, man. And it, and it, it gave me a vocational foundation to leave New York, which I planned on doing. I did not want to live there forever. It was cool for a while. Um, but that school gave me the foundation, the vocational foundation to leave and go work as a professional musician. I didn't have to just be 
a fucking like long green haired little punk rock asshole that was only going to be able to work if I found a band that I kind of belonged in or fit in with. Um, going to that school gave me the, the opportunity to go play for a fucking cover band or to go play for a singer songwriter, go play in a punk band or go play in a Zydeco band or do ultimately what I ended up doing, which is go play for country bands. Um, you know, I, I got the foundational basis to just go work as a musician, no matter what kind of came my way. Um, after I moved from the, after I got out of school, uh, I got a job offer in Los Angeles. I had met uh, Ryan White in Austin through a mutual friend who was a guy that actually managed the punk rock band that I played for when I was a teenager. Um, so I ended up moving out to LA to work as a, as a session museum musician. I was playing for a couple of different uh, BMG, like staff writers and shit. Um, good work. It's cool. Um, and then about a year later, Ryan moved out to LA and uh, he and I decided that we were going to take a run at trying to do resident hero in Los Angeles. And uh, it was fucking awesome, man. We loved it. I loved uh, that time, especially like it was great getting to like fucking put together songs with Ryan. Like, and uh, we, you know, Ryan's dad Lang, who is one of the greatest fucking human beings that's ever walked the earth had been playing bass with us uh, for a while. At the same time that Ryan and I were kind of cobbling this together, uh, I had a gig playing for a pop singer that was signed to Columbia Records. And, uh, we, you know, it's an L, it was an, a t kind of a quintessential L.A. Uh, major label gig. You don't really tour a lot. Um, you get to do a lot of rehearsal, do a lot of production refinement. But the majority of your performances are going to be like like they fly us to New York or, or send us here or there to go set up in like an office building and play in front of like nine label people in suits. You know what I mean? Um, you know, kind of high pressure work, but, but a lot of fun. And uh, the challenge of it was really cool. I met, we had, we had a bass player in that band and it was Luke Agajanian. And uh, I, Ryan came out to see us play with this pop singer in, uh, in like Orange County. We were doing a show in Orange County and Ryan came out to hang out. I introduced him to Luke that night. And as soon as I did, the first thing Luke said, like Ryan said, hello, we were getting ready to go play. Ryan walks off and Luke just fucking looks at me. He goes, please tell me right now that guy's in a fucking band. And I was like, yeah, dude, he's in a band. He's a badass fucking writer. He's a badass singer. He's one of my fucking closest friends. And me and him have a fucking band together. You should check it out. Boom. They like, that was all it took. Fucking we sent Luke like some demos. He came and fucking jammed with us once. And it was like done. Like there was no second guessing. There was no like, okay, well, I don't know if some shit felt good. Some shit didn't maybe try it again. Fucking none of that. Like we got in a room and it was like, I I'll tell you this. It's the only time in my life where we would get together and work on material, like write new songs. Like Ryan would kind of come to us with these like blocks of material. And then we kind of iron out parts and recobble them and create, you know, roadmaps and shit for him. And there would always be this this that that time where we finished working on a tune and we would play it all the way through in its finished form the first time. And I'm not fucking bullshit for especially a lot of songs that ended up making our album. A few of them that, that made that that the first couple of EPs, we would play a song through all the way the first time finished finished. And as soon as we hit the end of the fucking tune, we would start laughing like fucking maniacally because we loved what we had just made so fucking much.
It was awesome, dude. It was like nobody had ever heard it. There were no fans. We did barely played any fucking shows. If we did, it was like playing at small clubs in Hollywood to like our girlfriends and the bar staff. Um, you know, it's LA. Nobody gives a fuck. <laughs> nobody cares about your fucking band. <laughs> um, but we did. You know, we loved it. We liked our fucking songs. And I honestly, <laughs> I didn't really give a fuck if anybody else liked it or not. It was such a fucking thing that was like unique and special to me and Luke and Ryan. Um, it was great, man. I loved it. I love, I love, love that band. And I love the fucking music that we got to make. It was awesome. And within about six fucking months of us playing our first show with that lineup, uh, we went, like I said, from playing to, to the bar staff and our, you know, our couple of homies, you know, <laughs> I think by that point, our girlfriends had kind of quit coming to the shows. They were like, yeah, we, you guys have fun, whatever. We've seen it. Y'all are great. We love you. Whatever. Bye. We're over it. Uh, within about six months, we were fucking packing L.A. clubs. And that blew my mind. Like, I couldn't fucking believe that, like, 500 people were going to cram the gig on Melrose and, hey, I'm sorry, my dog's making noise. Uh, I couldn't believe the 500 people were going to cram the gig on a fucking Wednesday night at nine o'clock to watch our nerdy asses fucking throw down. But they did. And it was awesome. And the, the guy that, that booked that venue ended up fucking taking us on for management. His name was JJ. He was awesome. He really worked hard and did, did as much as he could for us. He kind of got us over the initial hump of being a band that just had like a chunk of songs that we really liked to kind of beginning to organize this a little bit and kind of take, take some administrative uh, leads, you know, where you needed to. And uh, we just kept playing fucking shows and playing shows and playing shows. And then out of the fucking blue, man, we find out like Ryan actually called me. He was like, Hey man, I met this lady in Florida. He was in Florida hanging out with Flyleaf. And uh, I think Tom DeLonge from Blink-182 introduced him to Holly Hutchison. And Holly had been an A&R person for some major label. I, I, I probably get it wrong. I don't want to, I don't want to put out misinformation, but uh, she had been like a pretty, pretty active A&R person in the LA music industry for a while. Um, built a lot of good relationships, a lot of bigger bands that went on to become very successful. Um, so I think Delange in, 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 uh, introduced Ryan to Holly and Ryan fucking slipped her a copy of the EP that we had made. We made our first EP at Westlake Audio. It's like amazing studio in Los Angeles. Uh, they made Thriller there. They made the Battle of Los Angeles there. Did a lot of the Ray Charles shit there. Um, awesome fucking room. Killer experience. Um, and Ryan slipped Holly a copy of that first EP. And uh, man, not too much longer after that, we get the word that fucking Rob McDermott is interested in checking us out. And, you know, I, I didn't know who the fuck Rob was at the time. Um, and then, you know, his resume gets dropped on me pretty quick and I'm like, oh shit. Uh, so at the time, and this is kind of ballpark, I, I might be a little mistaken on the specifics of it, but as I understand it, when Rob started kind of talking to us, he was managing, he had just left the firm in New York and had set up shop in Los Angeles. And he had Lincoln Park, the Plain White Tees, the All-American Rejects, Slash and Alice Cooper. And then us. And we were just like, going, what the fuck? But Rob, we were just Rob's passion project, man. We were just this little fucking power trio, local L.A. band that, 
you know, had like a solid local following of people that really dug, you know, responded to what we were doing. Um, you know, none of us were big drinkers or drug users. Uh, we were all just kind of polite fucking dudes. <laughs> you know, just showed up, played a show, had a lot of fun and then left. And honestly, a bunch of times we would fucking leave the gig and any gig. And, and then like two days later, I'm on the phone with Ryan. I'm like, Hey, how much do we make at that? He's like, I, I don't know. I'm, do, do we make anything? I don't We would leave and forget to get paid. Like we just, it, it it wasn't entering our fucking minds at all. Um, Rob put an end to that real fucking quick. <laughs> like he fucking like, you better get paid, motherfucker. Like he wrote our ass about it. He was great. Um, Rob took fucking great care of us, man. He was an awesome manager. He opened up a lot of doors for us. He he presented us with a lot of great industry-based opportunities. Um yeah, man, he got us a great lawyer. This guy named Nick Ferrara ended up being our lawyer <clears throat> for a while. Uh, Nick helped, helped us get in, you know, uh, at, at some important tables with some important people. And, uh, it was cool, man. Um, around the same time, Ryan, uh, Flyleaf were in, this is probably 2003 or four, uh, Flyleaf was in LA making their first record, uh, for J records. They were with a Sony, I believe a Sony distributed subsidiary label. Um, and they were working on that first record, I think with how, it was Howard Benson. It was either, it was Howard Benson. Yeah, I think it was Benson. For a second, I was thinking maybe it was David Bendith, but I think it was Howard Benson. Um, and they were making that fucking first record with him. And uh, Lacey invited Ryan to come out. I think he was initially just going to do like some harmony vocals for that record. Ended up singing harmony vocals on a few songs on that record. And then did the big duet at the end of that album with Lacey. And it went over really well. Um, not long after that, we got the call, like McDermott fucking hollered at us and said that he had gotten contacted by, uh, Deb Klein, who was managing Flyleaf. Uh, and they, they wanted us to go out and be an opening band for their, like initially it was going to be like coast to coast U S and some Canadian dates. And that turned into us, you know, I think it was supposed to be like three or four months that turned into us being on the road with Flyleaf off and on for the better part of a fucking year and a half. Um, we were on the road with them for a long time. It was awesome. Uh, and then in, and we would like be out on these like package tours and we would make friends with all these other awesome, awesome bands that were also on the, on the bills. And uh, then whenever the Flyleaf runs would end, those bands that we just got done playing with would invite us to go out and open for them. So we were just fucking road dogging it hard. Nice. And, uh, you know, it was those, those kinds of shows, I think were like where we met you and, uh, just a couple other people that, you know, early on when we were absolute, I mean, we still are, we were kind of always nobodies, but, uh, we were definitely, we were nobodies on a bill of awesome bands that all had fans of the show. Uh, we were the fucking, uh, we were there too, man, kind of thing, you know, but all the bands that we were out with just gravitated to us really fucking in a very cool way. And um, we, we started winning over, you know, a few people here or there in different markets. And uh, after about a year of that, we started, you know, like I said, we started getting to meet people like you. And, we, you know, just a few people like yourself that kind of saw us really early on and were like, I fucking like those guys. And then you came over to the Merc booth and bullshitted with us for a minute and boom, we're fucking buddies kind of you know, for years after that. Um, so like those things like that were really fucking great. Uh, we went through a couple of jumped through a couple of hoops with a few different major labels. Um, like I said, you know, primarily because of Rob McDermott, we were presented with a lot of really cool opportunities. 
And as is the case with a shit ton of fucking bands, it kind of ultimately all fell apart, you know, not with a bang, but with a whimper, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you go through the fucking process of success and failure, success and failure. It's peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys. And at a certain point, everybody just kind of cries uncle, you know, um, right. nobody was mad. Nobody fucking left in a huff. Nobody it was just kind of one of those, like, I, I, you know, uh, it, certain aspects started falling apart. And then the whole thing just kind of, you know, as, as happens, band fell apart. Around that time, I was dividing my time between Los Angeles and Nashville because I was playing on a few records out there, uh, working somewhat consistently out there. And then uh, I did for a couple of years, about 2009 into 2009. I had some very important family business happen back here in Texas uh, that brought me back. And I was kind of here didn't really have much going on. Didn't really my band that I had been in for like six and a half years and dedicated my life to was kind of no more. I uh, didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, record engineer that I know in Austin area had heard I was back in town, reached out to me, said, Hey man, if you're here and don't have anything going on, I'd love to get you in the studio. So I went and did some punch-ins uh, on some stuff that they had recorded at a really wonderful studio in South Austin. Uh, and from doing those, those sessions and kind of, you know, meeting some people that I was, you know, sitting in with here and there. Uh, I ended up getting a phone call from a guy who was a, a manager, excuse me, of a, a very, very successful Texas country artist. And uh, they reached out, said, hey, man, uh, Bart Crow is the name of the artist. Said, hey, Bart is looking for a drummer. Um, we heard that you were back in town from L.A. Um, he's really interested in having you come out and play if, if you're interested. Uh, so I went and I went out to rehearsal space and uh, sat in with the band. It was cool, man. It was great. I had a good time doing it. Um, the guys were all super fucking cool. Bart to this day, one of the best guys I've ever fucking worked for wonderful human being. Um, and I ended up doing that for a few years and that was kind of my entrance into the universe of Texas country music. Um, I, 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 I enjoyed it so much, uh, that I've continued to work in that genre for the last 10 years, almost, yeah, over 10 years, almost 11 years now. Uh, and it's been great, man. I've played for some really iconic artists. I've gotten to crazy experiences, awesome fucking road stories. Um, I, I got a couple of offers to go back out with a couple of rock bands, uh, good ones, like ones that I'm a fucking fan of, um, that, that if they had caught me like a year or two earlier, I probably would have been like, hell yeah, let's go do it. But honestly, man, like once I started really work touring with the, the Texas country artists, I kind of found my niche and I found the people I like to be on the road with and the people that I like to be in the trenches with, um, you know, that, that job security that we were talking about earlier, this yeah. man, there's a shelf life on, if you got a rock band, it may be awesome, but there's a shelf life on it. Um, with, with the country stuff, you can kind of do this until you're fucking a hundred, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, ain't nobody ever said that country band, they're too old. Like nobody's <laughs> said that. dude. Um, so it's sort of one of those, like, man, I like, I like the people. I really love the music. Um, I know I get kind of weird looks when I talk about this, but as a drummer, I really, really fucking love playing country music. I love it. I fucking love it. Uh, the nuance the ensemble mechanics, the techniques required and involved, uh, the detail-oriented execution that exists there. I, I dig it, man. Like, I feel like I get to be a very musical drummer playing this kind of music as opposed to just kind of going out and, 
you know, flipping drumsticks and throwing fucking hair around like an idiot. You know, that was cute when I was in my twenties. I can't fucking do that shit anymore. I feel cringy if I do it now, <laughs> but I, I, I fell in love playing country music and I still do it. I do it all the fucking time. I do it with great artists. I get to play on awesome records. Uh, it, it's cool, man. I, I, I got fucking real lucky, uh, falling into that genre of music when I did. Uh, it's, it's been one of the, it's been one of the great thing, joys of my life to get, to get, to make this kind of music. Much as I love being a rock band and I love the kind of visceral nature of getting to perform that way. I really like fucking hanging out with dudes that I just enjoy being around and playing some honky tonk tunes. It's the shit, dude. It's my favorite. <laughs> well, that's, that's awesome. Thank you for your, your very brief and quick summary of your, no, <laughs> give it like well, half an hour. I like to color outside the lines. You can edit all of it when you fucking want to. No, that's great. That's uh, every every bit of that was super fascinating. And like, like like you said, I have known you since uh, I because I first saw you guys on tour with Flyleaf, and that was in two thousand and seven. So that's you know I've known you for over a decade now, and I'm like, yeah, Jay's my friend. This is all good. It has taken all of the uh, the effort in the world when we first started hanging out to not sit and harass you with questions about resident hero, because, you know, I'm like, this is where I knew you from. And, you, you know, like you're saying, you guys were popping in there. You had a really good thing going. There's just something about that music that just made that connection. And that's what it did. Why I'm like, I want to see them as often as possible. And Hey, I'm, I befriended them and all these kind of things. And then it went over way over the years. Like, there's always questions in the back of my head. I'm like, okay, this is cool, but don't, don't be that guy, you know? Cause especially at the time, this was like right after I'm like, this is not the time to ask him questions about this band that just, just ended. And then you're going through the history and I'm like, this is what I've always wanted. These are the, these, the history. The, I don't know. It's just one of those dumb things. <laughs> it's cracking me up here. Honestly, Rob, but it's good. I'm grateful that anybody gives a shit at all, to be honest, man. Like, like I said, it was such a fucking important part. I think of all of, of, I can't speak for Luke and Ryan, but I think it was a, a really significant part of their lives. It was a significant part of mine. Um, yeah. and, and the things that I learned and the opportunities that I had because of that band uh, benefited me professionally and personally. You know, like I, I, you know, you have to do a lot of growing up and it, it's hard to do that on tour uh, with every, you know, you, with everybody near and dear to you sitting there watching you fuck up, you know, and we're, we all went through it. We all go through it time and again. Um, but I don't feel negative about it at all, man. I'm not sour on it. I, I don't, I'm not bitter about it. I'm not angry, you know, band, bands end, man. I'm glad I got, I'm glad that that band existed at all. And I'm glad I got to be a part of it at all. It was really great. Oh yeah. And you, you have got such, and like, like I said, at the top of the thing, like you have such a wealth of experience and, and things a lot of that stuff that you're mentioning through there. And of course, hindsight is 2020, but I'm like, I had no idea that uh, you had gotten started so early. I'd like touring in bands and yeah, the whole DIY getting out there, but it, it's, it's almost like you made that realization that some people don't make for years and years of the, Hey, you have to change the way you're doing this. If you want to make a career out of this and especially, yeah, it, it's, it's something it probably I got it from from listening to you, because, again, it's like when, when you first start listening to music and stuff, you hear these artists on the radio. And you go, Oh, they've got this is their job. This is what they do. But it's the it's the constant day to day thing. But you've you know, 
you've, you've found a niche where it's like, I can, I can continue to do the music that I'm passionate about in the genre that I found surprisingly that I'm passionate about with people who understand and are cool. And you get to have that job security. So you found that, that in there, whereas maybe in your twenties, they would, 20 year old Jay might be looking at you now going, you are a sellout. What is this? You're just, you're drumming for hire and doing all these things. Like, no, I, I've made the conscious decision to make the best life for me while getting something out of this. I want, yeah. so it's like, this is great. You're doing good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, man, um, I don't, I don't think 20 year old Jay would look at 42 year old Jay and say you sell out. Um, well, you cut your hair. So I bet he might just a little bit. <laughs> Dude, I had to, man. I fucking had to for, for a couple reasons. Um, dude, touring, touring in Texas in the summertime, summer festival season, outdoor gigs, bro. It's fucking brutal, homie. It's so it's, bad. It's, I'm, I'm out in it every day. And I, and, I started growing my hair out a couple years ago and I'm like, yeah, this, this was a mistake, but I was like, don't cut it now. It takes way too long to grow. Oh dude. Like it is, you get to a certain point where you're like, all right, fuck this. I'm going to cut this shit off, but I'm going to grow it long enough to give to locks of love when I do cut it off. So I'm like, you'll get, go through the fucking process and then just take it all off, man. Um, yeah, uh, I, I caught a little bit of attitude from some of the people in the rock scene, the rock and punk, the Austin rock and punk scene that I was in when I got accepted to the collective and decided to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of like, well, what are you, what are you doing that for? And it was like, well, man, I ultimately, I want to have a fucking career doing this. And at the time, the band that I was in was experiencing something that a lot of bands in Austin at the time, this is the late nineties. Uh, mm-hmm. something that a lot of bands in the area were going through. And that was incredible uh, regularity of heroin abuse. Uh, it was fucking everywhere, dude. It started with cocaine. Like you, like Austin was just full, of, like kind of pot smoking hippies forever. Like, you know, the, you know, the wild night for most Austin bands would be like some Lone Star tall boys in a blunt, you know what I mean? Not, not that big deal. And then there was like the, the Coke scene kind of started sneaking up in there and by like 99, 2000, man, there was just smack everywhere. Um, and it was, and I was watching this happen, like with other bands that we were friends with, with members of my own band at the time. Um, I started seeing the writing on the fucking wall for a lot of that shit. Like uh, the band that I was in when I, back, back then uh, had at least a house in North Austin that we all lived in. And, uh, you know, it was always fucking awesome. It was like a fucking clubhouse with the dudes in your band. It was, it was like, it was yeah. badass. Imagine being like 18 and fucking living that way. It was great. Um, and making a little bit of money playing fucking music. It was, it was okay. Uh, but then after a while, you start coming home and there's like new faces in the living room. And then after a while, it's like the fucking, the, the smack vampires are hanging out. It's like, what the fuck are these people doing here? Oh, so yeah. brought him over. Oh, they're friend of blah, blah, blah. And then, man, I'm no exaggeration, dude. As you and I are talking right now, there was like a, a click of about fucking nine of us that lived in that house um, that were in the van, on the bus, in the house. Um, as you and I are speaking right now, only four of us are still alive. Oh. Yeah. Mo- most of the guys that I got a lot of my early, you know, mute, like band experience around, a lot of them are dead. Uh, heroin, alcohol, uh, cocaine use, um, you know, all, all the cliched idiot musician shit that you hear about, see about in every fucking movie about music, that shit all happened. You know what I'm saying? They, they make, they, they make movies about that stuff because it happens. 
Um, and I saw the right on the fucking wall and was like, this, this, this is a dead end. So I was like, I better get my ass in fucking school and try to fucking figure something out because this is finite. And it, it did, you know, for a lot of the people, not everybody, but for some of the people associated with that organization, things in their life did not go very well. Um, so when I got accepted to school and kind of said, hey, love you guys, I'm fucking out of here. Um, some people in that community and that scene gave me a shitload of grief about it. Um, you know, the sellout, not, it wasn't sellout. It was horror. Like, why are you going to be a fucking musical whore now? And my attitude was like, yeah, you know what? I don't care if you call me that or not, you know, cause I know in next month, you're going to call me up and ask to borrow another hundred bucks. <laughs> you know, like, so the opinions I got about that kind of stuff didn't mean shit to me. Cause I was actually working and making a living. And my agenda was to continue to do that. So going, you know, I, the, the, I never viewed any of it as selling out or compromising anything. Um, I basically, I could go, I could quit at any time. I could go get a day job or choose to only try to be in certain kinds of bands. Um, I enjoy the freedom of getting to go play for Gary P. Nunn, who's an icon of country music, as much as I really appreciated getting to play for Black Joe Lewis when he was still signed to Vagrant Records and to Universal and like play some badass psychedelic blue shit. Um, I don't feel like it has to be an either or thing at all. Yeah. Um, I, I do oh, it all. I want to do it. I, I, I do what I want. You know, if, if an opportunity is presented to me and I want to do it, I'll go do it. Yeah. And that's, that's a good way to think of it. And I don't know why it, and it's probably exists in other uh, fields of, of work as well, but I don't understand why the music industry more than anything has such a, maybe not quite as much, but you always hear about it, like this click kind of thing in here that if you bounce from one to the other, or you want to do what's right for you to live, you know, it's like, ah, how dare you? You should, you're not making it unless you're yeah sleeping on the floor and driving in a van and their van breaks down. And like, who want nobody? I mean, sure, there's a time for that when you're starting. When like, who, nobody wants to live like that. You don't want to be the balding forty year old, fifty year old, sixty year old rocker that's like still like, woo, here we are for our you know six people playing. Like, I, I want to make something out of my life. And if that's what you want to do, sure, great, have the freedom. But it's like, if somebody wants to make something out of their life that's not that, then who cares? Just, yeah that's just part of growing up. That's what I feel like, but I don't know. I don't, I don't hear about it from, you know, I work in, I work for a cable business and somebody's not going to come up. I'm like, how dare you? You should be working for satellite. You know, I switch over. That kind of stuff doesn't exist. Yeah. 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 But in music it does. And it's almost always uh, from, yeah. From like the, the, the punk scene. And I've, I've never been in the punk scene. So maybe they'd all be like, how dare you? But I'm like, that's the only bunch of people I ever hear that from. It's like, yeah. you go anywhere to try to do You're something. Breaking up life, on me, like, no, well, that's my internet connection is unstable. That's what that just said. How, how and why? I don't know. Hold on a second. This is your job to fix that shit. There you are. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of thing I do. I break stuff. That's how it is. I don't know. We've been having a weird like outage in the area. Like Dude, you're frozen. You're frozen on my screen in this like super creepy, like, Oh, kind of way. <laughs> that's, that's how I do it here too. That's, Them's the breaks when you're doing stuff with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, like, like I was saying, like, since all of these are so far, mostly people that I've been in bands with and friends that I've had, 
I'm, we're always telling like these ridiculously embarrassing stories or I'm just busting on their balls and they're busting on mine and things. But I was, I was sitting here thinking, I'm like, all right, I've known Jay for a long time, but I've only seen you in person like a handful of times. But I was like, I had one of those uh, glass breaking moments and, and it happened, it happened with you and it happened with Ryan both. Because like I said, the time that I, that I saw you guys playing was when I was really getting into going to live shows a lot and, 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 you know, learning about bands and doing all these kinds of things. And here, here's resident hero. I'm liking them, all this good stuff. And then here, here's where the, the illusion was just started to become shattered from ginormous rock band that I, I really enjoy to, Hey, these are just some dudes. <laughs> and it and it was the day that you guys crashed at my house. Um, <laughs> yeah, dude, we stayed at your house, man. Stayed at my, you stayed at my mom's house that I was living in. Your mom again, thank you for letting us do that. Like we really appreciated it. Absolutely. Um, so you guys staying at my house was, I mean, that was that was weird, but it was neat. I'm like, there's my this band's popping it. But again, I'm like. What do I talk to them about? Because again, I don't want to be that guy. That's like, let me ask you a million questions. Even though you're in the middle of touring, you're doing things. I'm sure it's, it would have been fine. But I'm like, to me, it felt like it would be a very creepy. Like now you're trapped in my house, and now you have to answer my, you know, whatever. But the thing, you know, because I, I was racking my brain earlier. I'm like, all right, I know that I met you at one of the shows because, like you said, you were at the merch table. I've got a picture of the three of us there. I might've met you at one of the other shows. I'm not sure, but like the first conscious memory I have of you is you guys came in. I, somebody probably took a shower. You guys were changing up, doing things. And you just started talking to me about, Hey, yeah. You, so you like computer things, right? I'm like, yeah, computers are right. And then you started talking about like a job that you did between tours of networking and things. You just went on like this 20 minute tirade of network systems and home security and stuff like that. And you're like, you get what I'm saying. Right. And I go, no, in the back of my head, I'm like, he's just a big nerd. Yeah. He's just a big nerd. Yeah, yeah. No, I th- honestly, okay. So, yeah, at the time, um, a, a, a very dear friend, a very old friend of mine who is like a fucking savant when it comes to that. I like, like, I may know like a tip of an iceberg. And then my buddy Moe's is just like, considering things like wired architecture on a metaphysical level and shit, he was, he ended up, most ended up being a uh, head of wired architecture for a, a data center uh, in central Texas, a big one that handles like massive corporate accounts. Oh, and wow. uh, yeah. And he, he and I had, had worked on a couple of different uh, ideas that, that were, man, they were really cool. And then the, the more we kind of, I won't go, I won't go into detail, but like the more we started like digging into like, Hey, we can do this and we can do things with like iPods at the time. That was a big deal. Um, and USB interfaces and shit. Like we were really into kind of fucking with a lot of this stuff. And, uh, the more that we got to digging, the more that we found out that like, we were not the first people, not even close to being the first people that were also becoming aware of this, and that most of the big tech companies had gotten wind of it and like bought these other people out. So like the things that we thought we were so fucking clever for figuring out, like workarounds for, you know, hard to hardware and shit, 
uh, we found out we were not even remotely close to being first to fucking market. And not only were we not first to being close to market, the big tech companies were already well aware of it and like buying patents on all the shit that we thought we were making. So it was just like, all right, fuck it, man. I'll just be a drummer. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was cool, man. Um, I, you know, it, it was a very exciting time. Uh, technology was kind of on this, this curve, you know, and, uh, and, you know, like here we are all these years later and, you know, things like home recording technology and portability and transferability of content is so fucking lightning fast and so much easier than it used to be, you know, like, uh, yeah, anything that, that, that I was remotely interested in as far as technology goes from that time in my life it's fucking been completely rendered obsolete <laughs> like, oh, yeah. what i'm like hey it's magic i don't even care anymore uh, yeah you, you blink and everything is completely different i, I don't totally, know how my totally. phone works this, this yeah, is I mean, only the I, third I do, smartphone man, i do remember I that trip i remember that run i don't i think were we on tour with fair to midland when uh, we stay at your house uh no that was a little bit later that run you were touring with somebody else fair to Midland was, I think a little bit later in the year, but, uh, cause that, this was so late summer of 2009. And I, I cannot remember what the band was that you guys were opening for. Is it, it's not 10 years or is that, is that right? 10 years or no. some 10, 10 stones, 12 stones. 12 yeah. stones. Okay. That's what it was. 12 stones. God damn, man. Good memory. Fuck. I, uh, yeah, we yeah we did like a four month run with them. Um, fucking cool dudes, just fucking super super cool dudes. A couple of the guys from that from that band, I'm I still talk to. Oh, Not a good. whole lot, but like we we I'm still kind of in touch with a couple of guys from that band and their crew. Um, just fucking gentlemen, awesome fucking guys all the way around. And let me tell you something, man. We showed up. I remember this. We showed up for the first show on that tour. Uh, it was at the Fire Club in Jackson, Mississippi. So, like, our first run, I, 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 we drove from L.A. to Austin and hung out here for a couple of days, three or four days, just to chill the fuck out. Because we just driven, like, 26 hours straight, so we chill for a bit. And then we'd fucking make the drive into uh, Mississippi. Excuse me. And uh, we were tired. We've been on the fucking road. You know, we didn't have a production crew. It was just me and Luke and Ryan and our homie Blake that was selling merch for us. Um, and we show up to the fucking fire club in Jackson, Mississippi, which is a cool fucking room, cool rock club. Uh, and we we see like a guy that's either like a front of house like production manager for the venue. He didn't work for 12 stones. He just worked for the room. And we show up and we're like, Hey man, we're the fucking band from LA that's playing on this tour. And he's just like, huh? Like we're, we're resident hero, man. We're, we're, we're your openers tonight, I guess. No, I've never heard of you guys. Oh no. Never. You're not supposed to be on this bill. I've no, I've no idea what you're talking about. We're like, yeah, we're, this is the first night of our run with 12 stones. Yeah, I don't know. You're going to need to talk to somebody from 12 Stones. We're like, okay, is anyone from 12 Stones here? No. <laughs> like, okay, so we just fucking sit on our dicks in this fucking club. <laughs> Not to be an asshole, but they had this fucking local band on the bill. God, they were awful. And we sat there watching this fucking local band. Just They were doing their sound check and shit, and they were just stinking up the fucking joint. We're like, oh, fuck. Um. 
uh, fucking some time later, Art Braywick, 12 Stones, uh, TM, stage manager, coolest son of a bitch you'll ever fucking meet. Uh, Art shows up and he's like, hey, so yeah, we I just got an email from management. I guess you guys are on this bill. They didn't really tell me anything about it. And we said, look, man, we're really sorry for the confusion. We don't really understand why that happened. But look, we're here. It, it, you know, if we're not playing tonight, cool. We'll fucking sit tight. Or are we on for you know, tomorrow night, the next night, are you aware of us being on the rest of the bill? He said, yeah. And he said, and I got information that you guys are supposed to be on tonight. Um, we said, cool, man. Uh, we you said, just tell the production guys, uh, you can throw and go us. We're not going to be dicks and like demand a sound check or monitor checking bullshit. We'll just get up there and do it, man. Um, just let us know where you need us to keep our empty cases. So we're not in your way. Um, we'll get on stage, knock it out and get the fuck out of the way. And our just looked at us and went, I've never heard of you guys and I already fucking love you. Let's do this. And from that point on for the next four months, it was just like a total bromance with us and fucking 12 stones, specifically with us in art, their, their stage manager. He was the best man. He was great. Uh, yeah. And we ended up having a lot of fun on that run, met a couple other cool bands. Um, dude, this band from Kansas city was on that tour. Well, not on the whole tour. They were on like a few, like maybe a, like a, maybe a, a chunk of shows on that tour. Uh, they were from Kansas City. They were called Shaman's Harvest. Oh, I've heard of them. Yeah. yeah and they, they were fucking cool dudes, man. They were all right. Um, I remember fucking busting. I busted their balls because you remember the fucking Bud Light used to make that like but uh, beer and clam and tomato juice shit. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. These motherfuckers drank that shit by the 32 rack, man. Ugh. It was fucking weird. Like they, they were just pounding that shit. Uh, but they were fucking really cool, man. We had a good time touring with them. Uh, and of course the guys in 12 stones are just goddamn monsters. They're fucking such good players. They're such a powerful fucking band. Um, it was a lot of fun, man. We played some cool fucking rooms, uh, really cool audiences. It was a lot of fun, man. And yeah, we stayed at your house for the, uh, <laughs> little rock. Yeah. No, I was in Conway. No, no, I know you were in Conway, but, uh, were we playing it in Fayetteville or little rock? I can't remember. Oh, sorry. Fayetteville. Yeah. Yeah. Were we at George's majestic? Okay. Okay. Would you believe that's one of the only places there's just a few places that I have played both with a rock band and with a country band. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. George's majestic is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I guess, uh, every time you play a little rock, you would, you would play like the rev room or. Well, with, well, with, 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 with the country bands. Yeah. 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 We play or the stickies. or stickies. Yeah. Um, and then we do George Majestic Fayetteville, but with like the times that Resident Hero was there, I think we played uh, I think the village. Mm-hmm. village. It, was like, it was like a dome with like a that had a boxing ring in it at some point, I think. It used to be a movie theater. A movie theater. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that place was fucking cool, man. That place yeah. was really cool. Yeah, that pl- that was that was the first one that I saw you guys at because the village, uh, when it existed, they knocked that sucker down a few years ago. Um, that that was like our mid-sized uh, venue. Yeah. If you were bigger than you know some up-and-coming band, but you weren't big enough to fill our arena, you would go there. So you know, here comes Snoop Dogg, here comes whatever. So yeah, when you guys were touring with Flyleaf, boom, there there you were. Yeah, man. Who else was on that bill? Was Skillet on that bill or was it? No, that was uh, you guys, Flyleaf, Sick Puppies, Sick uh, Kill yeah. Hannah. Kill and, Hannah. 
and a local band here that as soon as I said that I forgot their names, um, but a local band. And so, yeah, there was, there was five of you guys and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll so super admit this that anytime you go to, you know, cause anytime you go to a show and you're like, I'm here to see this band, this band, and this band. And they're like, Oh, there's three openers. You're like, Ugh, why? <laughs> and then I get there and I'm like, okay, so here's, I'm here to see Flyleaf. I like kill Hannah. I've never heard of sick puppies, but this guy that's next to me is like, Oh, they're great. I'm like, okay. And they're like, Oh, there's a local opener. I'm like, okay. Oh. And then there's this other band. Who's this other band? No I, was, I was so mad. And then you guys start playing. I go, Oh, okay. No, they're fine. But I was pissed. As soon as you guys took the stage, I'm like, what is going on here? Why are there five bands in this bill? I want to go Thank home. <laughs> hey, not bad for a $22 ticket. Yeah, it was no, that was that honestly, that's one of my favorite shows. Um, and uh and I, I oh gosh, I've got to ask my friend to see if she remembers. But you when you mentioned Pat earlier, the first thing that pops into my head, because you know, he used to, you know dive around the stage and like he's doing kung fu in the air with it. he'd never drop his bass he'd never miss a note or anything at some point they had like those little risers at the front of the stage that i'm sure that he and whoever would like stand up on just a little bit and then pop back down well he would he kept like getting up on that and he would like bang his head and then he would leap backwards but one of the times one of the times he lost his footing and my friend and i were like in the second row Oh, he went right down on top of her. Whoosh. Oh, yes. <laughs> Didn't miss a beat. He kept playing, but then he got up and he's like, I'm so sorry. And he gets up yeah, and then, feel real bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as the song was over, he ran to the end of stage. Are you okay? Are you okay? She's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm like, <laughs> dude, let me. <laughs> it's funny. I'll tell you, I'll tell you fucking two stories, man. Um, we were, I don't even remember where the fuck it was, man. We were playing somewhere. And I don't remember, I mean, we did so many different tours of life. I really don't remember which one it was, but there was a show and it was outside. It was like a festival style thing. There's a shitload of fucking people there. And they got into, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily like a top shelf production. Like instead of having the fucking half million dollar flown Vertec rig with the big fucking flown line array speakers and shit and have it, they had like big badass towers of speakers that were just like subs and then stacks and mains and shit. They specifically fucking told all the bands do not climb on the fucking stacks. Like, these things are like fucking 20 something feet high. And the only thing keeping them in place are goddamn nylon ratchet straps. And we're not talking like fucking 20 of them that are keeping it all secure. I mean, there's like a ratchet strap that goes over the whole fucking thing and back down. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah, so Pat Pat was not going to be denied his action shot. We're specifically told, do not fucking climb on top of this shit. We're like, all right, we weren't going to, whatever. Fucking halfway through Flyleaf set, old Kill Patrick Seal starts fucking climbing, just fucking slings his base around shirtless man ape, starts fucking climbing up these stacks. He gets to the top of this fucking thing. And he's fucking like kind of playing and shit these fucking stacks start like moving like the corners are fucking coming up on this shit. And we're like, <gasps> and like all the production people, all fly these production people, everybody just wham, like runs to this fucking shit. Uh, we, th- I thought it was going to be the end of Kilpatrick. I thought, I thought, <laughs> I thought it was curtains for Pat, man. 
Curtains for Pat. No, he was fine. It was okay. (laughs) (laughs) The guy's got a fucking horseshoe up his ass, man. He's always kind of okay. It's all good. But the other thing I was going to tell you mentioned, like your friend having, you know, having Pat fall on her. One of the tours we were, we were in, I think North Carolina. And I forget the name of the town. I think we were at a venue called the Tremont Music Hall. It was awesome fucking room. Um, and I'm not going to name the band because I don't want to. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But it, but the, you're this was some shit. Um, you know, it was weird. There, we did a tour. So a couple of fly, you know, all the Flyleaf fans were like so awesome. You know, they're they really nice people, and they're like mm-hmm. really being supporting of us. But then a couple of times we there'd be like another band on the bill and like a cross section of the audience would like fucking turn on them for, right. I mean, really for no fucking reason. It was just like, for whatever reason, like they liked us, they like so-and-so, they like something, they love Flyleaf, but then there may be another band or two on that bill where they're just like, fuck this. And there was a band on one of the, the runs that ran into that fucking that scenario very unfair to the band because the band was fucking awesome uh but for some some of the places we went the fan the fans the audience just they were kind of fucking cold man and this band in particular was on doing their set at this at this place hey rock can you hear me yes here's your edit point boom (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we're we're in uh, we're in North Carolina playing. I remember what I was talking about. We're in North Carolina playing at Tremont Music Hall. Uh, this band that had been having some rough patches with some of the some of the audiences, as great as they were, uh, they're on stage. Somebody in the audience spits on the singer. The singer thinks he sees who did it. Oh no! He fucking swings his goddamn microphone around and launches that motherfucker like goddamn kung fu movie like (laughs) and this fucking microphone comes and pops this fucker right in the chop right in the chips dude just like pops this fucking kid right in the mouth and we're like oh shit well it was the kid that he hit with the microphone was not the kid that spit on him it was a fucking asshole that was next to him the dude that got hit with the microphone was fucking 15 years old. Oh no. And he was a Flyleaf fan. Oh. And he was there with a couple of the other his friends from his youth group at church. And his dad had brought them to the show and was at the back of the room and only let them come to this show because Flyleaf was a Christian band. Yeah. And the bands that were on the road with them were, oh, you're okay. It's a secular show, secular market, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's okay. And this kid gets fucking popped right in the fucking face. And it's just like, oh, fuck. And he was okay. Uh, but <laughs> they had him on, on Flyleaf's tour bus, you know, but like after the show, they're like, hey, come on and meet everyone on the whole fucking tour. You know, like, so like he got some one on one time with Lacey and we all the band, we all went and said hello to him and fucking, you know, kind of Joe palled around with him a little bit, met his dad, apologized. The dude that hit him in the mic was so apologetic and really felt bad. But, you know, man, it's one of those things where it's like, dude, 
Yeah, you know, you're going to get, you know, we had people fucking get shitty with us a couple of times. It's the nature of the fucking beast, man. That shit eventually is going to happen to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can either react and let him see you sweat or you can lose your cool and accidentally fucking beat up some fucking child. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) you got to be careful. You got to be Jeez. Yeah. I I don't know. Like, first, I, I, I haven't played nearly the percentage of shows that you've had. I've never gotten in a fight with anybody or anything. But yeah, I've had my fair share of people going, making their displeasure known that they don't like us and things. Um, there, there, wa- <laughs> there was a show that we played once with this. Um, there's a cover band out here. And they, they, they're called the big damn horns. Cause there's like 12 people in this band. They're like, a, they're like a whole ensemble. So there's, there's drums, guitar and bass, but then they have like trumpets and saxophones. It's just, it's a whole thing. And they're, they're really good. They play a, just a whole menagerie of covers and stuff. And um, they're one of the guys in their bands of a good friend of ours. And he's like, I have always wanted, you know, I want you guys to come open this show with us. I'm like, oh, okay, great. I've wanted to play with them. This will be great. Uh, but their their venue that they play at um, is is like it's a it's a it's a venue, but it's kind of like a comedy place, and then it's a coffee bar. So it's like it's not, sort of thing. Yeah, so it's not really suited to rock, but they're a cover band. So you know, cover bands bring in certain crowds, and then then there's us, these gangly dudes playing these whatever things. Uh, that crowd was not having us at all. <laughs> Now, but because of the clientele, they weren't booing or that they were just ignoring us, you know, they were, they they politely let you know that they're not buying what you're fucking selling. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, at, at this point, this was, you know, toward the end of our run and I'm tired of, of trying. Cause you know, at first it's like, I'm going to win over the crowd. That's my job. I'm going to, I'm going to make contact with people. I'm going to do things. And after a few songs in, I'm like, this isn't happening. So I spend the entire rest of the show uh, making super snide comments between me and my guitarist, like in the microphone, like, Hey, we've been super talented. You guys are really loving us tonight. No, just, just these awful comments. And we're just, I'm laughing my head off and we're over here and the crowd just like, meh, meh. I'm like, I don't know. I can't have it. Can't have it. <laughs> you can't let them see you sweat, man. Yeah, I know. You know, look, I, I I'll always, I, I always to this day, um, I always approach live performance and the reality that you may have to deal with, that you may have one of those nights. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? It may just be your fucking night in the barrel. Uh, but I always try to approach it from this perspective. I don't really fucking care if you like it or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I play with country music artists, but we live right outside of Austin. So yeah, there are a lot of people that love country music that come out and see us play all the time. It's great. Love it. Uh, but you're also going to like every once in a while, we'll get that offer to go play a place we don't normally play an area. We don't normally play because maybe it's in the city or close to the city. It's not that maybe like the person that's paying for us to be out there is like a real big fan and they hope all their coworkers or friends or whatever their event that they're having, that they're also going to be fans. Sometimes they're not. Um, <laughs> I don't even fuck if you like it or not. I don't. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my best to play so well that at worst case scenario, when you walk out of that show that night, you're going to say, you know what? I'm not really into what they do, but they were fucking all right. They could do it. They could play. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the, that's the very least. That's all, that's all that you can do. 
You as an artist, man, you got no fucking control over how anyone in the general public is going to receive what you're putting out. And even if they like it, they may not really understand it, which, you know, just to a lot of writers that it's important that people understand the work that they're putting out, not just receive it. So it can be like levels of frustration that I understand. Um, but as far as like dealing with the, the reality that you're going to play for some people that are just going to not be into your bullshit and the best you can do is just kick ass, you know, just kick ass. Mm-hmm. It, maybe they'll like your songs. Maybe they don't like your songs. Maybe they take one look at Rob Shepard and they're like, what is up with those fucking hot pink neon fucking tights? This skinny son of a bitch is wearing on his fucking arms with this fucking Madonna lucky star era fingerless gloves and shit. Like, I don't, I don't get what I'm saying right now. So what you guys are going to go up there and you're going to play your fucking asses off. You're going to play as my homies, my Scott, my buddy Scott used to say, motherfuckers going to play out the cops are outside waiting for him. You know what I mean? And, uh, <laughs> If you do that and take that approach, then best, you know, at the very least, they may not like it, but they'll walk out of there. You know, I don't like you, but damn it, I respect you. You know, the best you can hope for is just to play your shit well, man. Uh-huh. And, if you play, and if you nailed your fucking show and you felt good about it, um, man, so fucking what if they didn't get it? Look, we saw you guys play. I think we saw you guys open for us one time. Was it Juanita's? Y'all play with us at Juanita's? Oh, we never opened for you. I wanted to. Never got the chance to. Fuck, no, there they was a local band it. that did open for. No, you opened for a local band. Oh yeah, Juanita's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you that that's when you guys were touring with Fair to Midland, and then I we guess you just off. you had like an off day, and so you're like, we're going to Little yeah. Rock. Yeah. yeah, we we had a one off, so we so we uh, got we got uh, an offer to play at Juanita's, and we went and did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I remember that. Yeah, because yeah. there was only two of us watching you. Fucking, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> You only took cool people in the fucking room. Yeah. That, fucking band, that that local band that we opened for, God, what a bunch of chodes, dude. They suck. They were kind of like giving us fucking attitude. This is the thing. We were always sort of at that level where we would get offers to do these one-offs um, because like, you know, whoever was the talent buyer at this smaller place knew that we were on tour with some bigger band that was in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, you know, in their, their mindset was, Hey, I can get this. I can get one of the fucking opening bands from that tour to come out and do our room. And they'll do it for like 500 fucking bucks. Cause you know, we were not high rollers. So like they could, you know, they could throw a little bit of money at us and we're like, yeah, we'll come play. Cool. Um, and you know, days off didn't really, you know, fuck a day off, dude, we'd rather play. So we would just kind of take whatever got thrown our way. And for a lot of those shows, we were opening for some local band, um, you know, that were like local big dicks, Big fish in a little pond, the kind of big league in us. There would always, always be that. You guys from LA? We're like, well, you know, Ryan and I are from Texas, and Luke's from fucking San Diego, and uh, but you know, we 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 live in LA. Yeah, fuck you guys. <laughs> you know, and that would like that would be our reception, like from all these like local bands, Jeez. not not just in, the, in Arkansas. It was fucking everywhere. No, I'm man. sure it was here because I don't remember the band that you guys opened up for but i remember (laughs) listening for a second they were terrible whoever they were and let's let's be perfectly honest um no big bands have ever come out of here you've had i mean evanescence came from here but they left here to blow up i mean yeah they they did so they're the exception there's a couple of smaller bands that are coming here and there and anybody who out there who listens there's no disrespect any band but there have been no big bands coming out of here in the last 20 years so anybody who's got that kind of like 
feel like they've got a big dick in that, and they need to just shut up. It's not well, happening. I say no big bands except for the throbbing testicles. Oh, yeah, because stop. we hard stop, stop right there. The there it is. There's no other big bands to come out of fucking the greater Little Rock area in 20 years. Yes, yes. Well, because we'll because we're on the we're on par with the Beatles. We already established that earlier. You know, yeah, this is bigger yeah. than Beatles. Yes. But yeah. man, we don't need to, we don't need to fucking like be bringing up fucking redundancies in your podcast. I think it's obvious. <laughs> I think it's obvious. Yeah, no, this is this is Metal Town here. And I, and again, I don't know what it is now. Ever since I stopped playing shows, I don't go to shows hardly anymore. Um, but you either have uh yeah, country or funk bands, which which is always interesting. I find those or it's all metal, like and not maybe and i'm not a, like a snob about metal i like heavy metal but there's a difference between metal that has vocals that you can hear and just the you know for for four minutes straight and it sounds exactly the same thing and like that that's most of what's here and if that's everyone you know if that's your your genre that's what you like to listen to great then you'd fit in really well here but as far as the rest of anybody else is you're like i don't like that i don't want to hear it and that's all you can hear and nine times out of ten, that's we'd get put on a bill with that because they just see the name. Oh, a throbbing test. They must be a metal band. Yeah, we're totally not. Good. And but they'll throw us on a metal show, and you're like, we're either gonna get the people who have a sense of humor about it, or you're gonna have the people who are like, this is awful, dude. Let me tell you something, Rob. I, I understand what you're saying. I totally get it, and I understand the difficult position, a very frustrating position that probably puts you in. I, I, I with all respect to that. Let me tell you something. This is what I loved about your band. <laughs> Every once in a while, like not just with I mean, any band I've ever been in, like you guys can be, you can be hanging out with your band. If you're you know, like a good pro level touring band and you watch like a local band and usually everyone in the band is in agreement. This band is either pretty good or, eh, fuck them, you know, yeah. it's always weird. It's like, yeah, they're fucking pretty good. Or it's like, eh, this is fucking bullshit. Fuck these guys. I'm out. I'm gonna go smoke a bowl later. Um, <laughs> I feel this the same way about you guys. <coughs> pardon me. That I felt about, and I feel like an asshole because I can't remember this band's name. But we were playing at First. I think it's called First Avenue. It's in it's in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's like it's where they film Purple Rain. It was like oh. Prince's home home venue. It's like the fucking rock club from Minneapolis. It's mm. an awesome room. It's real. I mean, it's real kind of like a bare bones box, like music in a box. Um, but the, the PA is great. Iconic room. Lots of incredible fucking artists have played there. We're playing there. Uh, I don't know why, but they, but they let us play there. Uh, we were on tour with Flyleaf. That's why we were playing there. And um, they have a local opener. And man, I like, I was like me and like a couple of crew guys from fly. There'd be like a handful of us that would always go check out the local openers. Always. Even if we only watch for a few tunes, we always go out and check it out. There was this fucking band that opened that show. They were fucking young. I mean, like we were all in like our mid twenties and shit, but they were like in their like late teens. Mm. And these kids fucking brought out, it was like a five piece band. But, dude, they were playing, like, metal trash cans and, like, wind chimes made out of broken cymbal pieces. And their fucking band, their music was, like, ween meets really spacey REM. Uh. Everyone on the fucking tour. I mean, everyone. 
heard this band playing and went, what the fuck is this? Like certain fucking entities on that tour who will not be named, but were actually mad. (laughs) Fuck. Did they put that on this bill? This is bullshit, dude. Like we don't need some bullshit local band opening this fucking bill. We're fucking international touring fucking artists. What is going on with this bullshit? Meanwhile, your boy Jay is sitting on the side going, you know what? Fuck every one of you guys. This band is awesome. Like, like I fucking get it. I totally get it. I think they're fucking great. They're young. They're green. But so the fuck what? Like another fucking dozen or so shows under their, their belt. Give them another couple of years and they kind of fucking streamline what they're doing a little bit. I see this being a very fucking interesting band down the line. And I feel the same way about the throbbing testicles. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, dude. Did you hear the band that fucking Rob Shepard's in? Uh, you know, he sent me something I haven't listened to it yet. Bro, check that shit out. What's it like? It's like fucking Ween, but it's fucked up. It's great. Oh, I don't know if I like that. Yeah, well, you shut the fuck up. I fucking love this shit. Uh, I thought it was great. That's how I felt about you guys. And, I, you know, the reality is bands like that, man, people are only going to fucking love you or fucking hate you. You've only got, like, extremes. You're not going to have any Fairweather T3 fans. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I feel you. That's that. That's the epitome of what it always is. It's like, oh, great. It, I feel like with and, and it was uh, it was a, a barometer of if they laughed at the name, they might like the song. But if as soon as they hear the name and they go, nope, I go, all right, well, you're not going to get this joke. It's it's all right. You're done. That was yeah. and that's fine. That's how it worked. That's how it all works. Okay. Yeah. Um. There's something else I was going to ask you, and it just it just poofed poofed out of my mind there um but yeah one of one of the things and i had i had sent a picture of this to ryan years ago when i was going through some boxes i still got a ticket uh like a ticket that i never got to use it because it was a show that got canceled when you guys were touring with fair to men it's like fair to midland resident hero on there i if if any shows that i never didn't ever get to go to that's one of the biggest ones i've ever bummed out about because yeah they put out their first album and then you guys no, you hadn't put out your album at that point, but you guys were touring together. I was like, two of my favorite bands on tour, because that doesn't happen very often. Dude, and I was like, this would be great. All right, man. I, let me just, let me just, let me tell you something. Um, of all the fucking bands that Resident Hero got to tour with, and we toured with a, a, a fucking handful of badass ones. Awesome on stage, awesome off stage too. Like I met some of the most fucking incredibly interesting, talented. Uh, come on, dog. Jesus Christ. Come on, bud. Come on. Okay. Sorry, man. Tyler wants to be in on the fucking podcast. He's getting so big. Look at him. He's a little monster. Yeah, he is. <laughs> you good boy. Yes. Um, yeah, when we were fucking spoiled rotten, Rob, we got to we got to meet some of the most awesome fucking people. Really did. Now out of all the bands that we toured with fair to Midland will always be my favorite. Um, those dudes were just a riot to fucking hang out with. Musically speaking, they were fucking light years ahead of all of us Mm. period. Um, they may not have had as much as much commercial success as some of the other bands that we were all on the road with, but fuck it. Uh, they, they didn't, they didn't do too shabby, man. They fucking got a, a, a fucking billboard charting album. 
Um, the fucking running joke with that second record that they put out was like, yeah, we knocked Justin Bieber off the fucking chart or we, we, we knocked Justin Bieber out of his fucking spot. Now that Justin Bieber record had been out for like a fucking a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like <laughs> it's fair to Midland's big opening weekend when the label put all the fucking money behind the push and shit. And, uh, so the, yeah, the running joke was, yeah, we're, we're walking around dusting their shoulders off being like, yeah, we knocked Bieber out of his spot. It was fucking hilarious. Uh, but I'm, I'm down with that because that's one of my favorite albums. That's such a good album, dude. It is. It totally fucking is, man. And you know what? <laughs> that band, dude. They got to make. They made two full-on label-funded albums. They made. They made a couple of records before that that are fucking great too. Uh, uh, Carbon Copy, Silver Lining is is awesome, and uh, I think Inner Fund to Stifle is also fucking awesome. Those are great, great records. Uh, but Fables from a Mayfly and uh, was it uh, Anchors and Arrows? Arrows and Anchors, yeah. Arrows and Anchors, thank you. Um, those, were, those were both like, you know, highly funded, highly budgeted records. And I don't know if you know, if you know this or not, but like that, that Fables from a Mayfly was actually produced by this guy named David Bottrill, who did like a Muse record and uh, I want to say like maybe a Peter Gabriel record and like I think I did later did a tool record like Bottrell is he's I think he's Canadian. He's a bad motherfucker. He makes awesome albums. Uh, but but the second record was done by fucking Joe Barisi. Wow. And do you know who Joe is? I the, the name sounds really okay. familiar. Uh, he fucking made Pinkerton. Oh, that guy. Yeah. He made Weezer's Pinkerton. He did a couple of badass Queens of the Stone Age records. He's done like Barisi and, and Barisi has also done later did also did a tool record. Joe Barisi is fucking awesome. And <laughs> going back to my fucking uh, unadmonished love for fucking all things fair to Midland. Uh, we met them on a flyleaf tour, bro down with them hard, fell in love with them. I remember when Cliff gave me a copy Fables from Mayfly. They were about to release it. The Flyleaf tour for them was them greasing the wheels for these markets where they're going to push the record. So it hadn't quite been released yet, but we, they were out starting the promotion for it on that tour. Excuse me. I remember the fucking night, like we had done like a few shows together, kind of gotten to know each other over about a week. And then Cliff comes to me and goes, Hey man, um, I'd really like to know what you think of this. And he fucking gave me a copy of that record. We get back in our van. I put that shit in and get the fuck out of here, dude. It's, it's fables from a mayfly. It's like, we sat there and listened to the whole goddamn thing. And by the time you get to the last big fucking chunky chords of say, when I was a convert, you know what I mean? I was just mm -hmm. like, this band is more musically interesting than any of us. They're they're They, these motherfuckers are making better music than every single fucking one of us. And they may or may not be the most production heavy or technical fucking band, but they're making the most creatively interesting music out of any of this. If I was a fucking 15 year old kid coming to this show, I may have come for to see Flyleaf, but I was going to leave being a fair to Midland fan. Um, I, I make this statement and it kind of embarrasses the guys, in the band a little bit when I say it, I don't mean to, but I stand by it. And that is this. I think that in a similar fashion to the fact that, in the mid nineties, there was a, like a legion of teenage kids that were super into like faith no more. Mm -hmm. And they had some commercial success. They were a fairly big band that toured all over the world. You know what I'm saying? They had record, they had records come out on major labels. Uh, but then they kind of went away 
and, and from the public eye. And then like a decade later, all these fucking awesome bands that go on to become really huge come out. Like all the new metal bands come out like 10 years later and they're all citing fucking fa- uh, faith no more as an influence. Right. Yeah. I feel this, that that is going to be fair to Midland. I feel that we were all playing in front of thousands of teenage on those flyleaf tours. We were all playing in front of thousands of teenagers every night a vast majority of which were trying to start their own bands. Yeah. And I think that a bunch, if any of those kids that were at any of those shows have success in the future, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing fair to Midland be, be thrown up as a band that a lot of bands were fucking influenced by. Um, I think the music they were making was that fucking significant. Um, the fact that Serge Tankian took interest in them when he did uh, help them out fucking a lot. Um you know, they went through that whole major label process and did the best they could. Uh, I fell in love with them. I, they're still to this day, one of my favorite bands that fucking ever existed. And and I grew to love them as people so much that even after I moved back to Texas, uh, I'll, I'll tell you this story because, you know, I'm sure the guys in the band probably wouldn't have a problem with me telling it. Um, I'd moved back to Texas and I was touring with Texas country artists and uh, I get a fucking phone call. And it was uh, Frank Hill, uh, who was Fairy Middle's manager. Awesome dude. Great manager. Great, great guy. Um, and Frank said, hey, man, uh, we're not 100% sure if Brett is going to be interested in kind of continuing on with the band. He's kind of making some noise that he may not be feeling it anymore. It, we've got some tours on the books. If it turns out that we need you, could I call you? I said, dude, are you fucking kidding me? Yes, absolutely. You can absolutely fucking call me. I'll, I'll, yes. Duh. I mean, if somebody called you and said, hey, Rob, you want to come fucking be in Fair to Midland? What the fuck would you say? Oh, yeah. You know? absolutely. Hands down. Yeah. Right. Other than the fact I'd stick out like a sore thumb. But you, on, you on the other hand, you have the talent for it. So, yeah. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I hope so. But you never know. Maybe I'd go in there and just stink up the fucking joint. Always possible. Uh, <laughs> but I was very appreciative to get that fucking call. Um, about two months later, I'm on, on a fucking tour bus with, with a with country band. And uh, I get a phone call and it's Cliff. And he says, hey, man, what are you doing? I was like, bro, I'm on tour right now. I'm in wherever the fuck I was. Uh, I was in America somewhere, but I don't know where I was. And he said, listen, if I need you to, could you get off that bus right now and be on an airplane to Dallas? I was like, dude, are, are you in a bind? He's like, yeah, yeah. Like, like we need somebody, but we, we really want you to come do this. Man. It would be awesome. I want to do it. Can you give me two weeks? Because this country band that I was working for, I fucking love those guys. And they're good dudes. And they they fucking gave me a good job. And they paid me very well. And, and the work was good. And the environment was good. And I had no reason to be unhappy in that, in that organization at all. It was great. Great people around. Uh, but when one of your favorite bands asks you if you want to come play with them, it's, you know, there was definitely that fucking itch in the back of my mind that was like, hey, pull this fucking bus over. I'm getting the fuck out of here, man. I'm going to play with the fucking I'm going to play with the mighty fair to Midland. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't do that to them. I could not leave them in a fucking lurch like that would be a piece of shit move. Yeah. I wouldn't sleep at night if I did that to them. So I asked Cliff, I was like, dude, can you give me two weeks? Like, let me let me give them professionally just out of etiquette and respect. Let me give them two weeks notice so they have time to fucking bring someone else in. I can't just get off this bus right now and fucking come be in your band. 
It, like, I, I would be such a dirtbag if I fucking did that. Yeah. And it would be affecting the livelihood of, of dude, there were like between the band and crew, there was like nine dudes who were paying their fucking mortgages and like raising kids with the money that they make being out on the road that week. If I leave right now and they got to cancel shows, they're not fucking getting paid. Like, and, and that, fuck me. If I did that to them, I'd be a total piece of shit. Right. So, so I, I begged Cliff, dude, please, is there any way you can give me two weeks to wrap this up? They were not able to. Uh, they weren't dicks about it at all. It was just one of those like, bro, we, we don't have two weeks. Like, this is not one of those like, hey, there's going to be this transition. We're going to lose our drummer. We need another one. We're going to prepare for it. No, this was like they got a fucking tour on the books week before motherfucker says, fuck y'all, I quit, you know, or I'm not interested anymore. He leaves. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I was this close to fucking getting to play in fair to Midland and I, man, I would have loved to have done that. It would have been awesome. It would have been real fucking awesome. Uh, that lineup would have been really, really fucking cool, but it didn't happen. And, uh, coincidentally, man, like maybe a handful of months later, uh, their bass player, John Dickin, who is just one of my, one of my closest, dearest friends, uh, Dickon calls me up and he's like, Hey bro, I'm, you know, I'm kind of done with fair to Midland. It's kind of falling apart. Uh, I want to move to the Austin area. And I think I want to play in country bands. Do you help me out? Like, yeah, sure. Long story short, I end up getting Dick in a gig playing with a really talented, uh, female artist, country act, um, salary gig paid him well. He was happy, super happy. And uh, he ended up fucking renting a room in my house for like three years. <laughs> so like <laughs> even after Fair Midland fell apart, me and John Dick and were fucking roommates for like a little while after that, man. <laughs> and uh, to get to hear, you know, to get to know the, the chinks in the armor that every fucking band has, but to get to hear Fair to Midlands. Like you may be excited about getting to hear me talk about this stuff for resident hero, but you should imagine me getting to hear John talk about it for fucking fair to Midland. Oh yeah. That, it was that, just like fucking amazing. Yeah. I, and, and you've told me some of the, some of the details and stories that I can't, I'm sure we can't really go in, don't need to go in here before, but uh, you know, that's, that's one of uh, one of the small corners of the internet mysteries. Um, it, it's almost kind of like, uh, one of the things that's been a reoccurring theme on this podcast, we've talked about how, you know, smaller local bands that you've never heard of, they come up, they do their thing and then they end. And it's like, they never existed at all. Fair to Midland is one of those, I, I, I don't want to say flash in a pan because they weren't, they were great, but you know, in, in the commercial view of things, they kind of were, they popped out a couple of singles, they were on the radio for a minute and then poof, it's like, what happened to them? And really, you know, if you go anywhere on their, well, I don't think any of their social media is still there, but anybody who has like fan group pages of Fair and Midland, everyone's like, where did they go? What happened? Because it was just like today, hey, we're getting ready. We're doing this. We're getting, and then tomorrow, boom, gone. Yeah. Nobody yeah. knows anything. And I'm like, so it's, it's like, it's its own story of unsolved mysteries because it's like this wonderful right. band and they disappeared. And the, the information is out there. It's just like, unless you're in the know, but it's, it's, it's not one of these grandiose, we're going to be on VH1 behind the music, fascinating stories. It's just one of these, Hey, people, these are real people. Things happen. That stuff happens. It's just none of your business. And it's like, well, I'll tell you this, man. Um, I, I have remained in contact with three of the five members of that band. Like pretty consistently. Yeah. Um, 
I, I kind of got a beat on the other two. Um, but let me just tell you that everybody's fucking great. Uh, everybody's doing okay. Uh, everybody's alive and healthy and, and happy and kind of, you know, just hitting their forties like a motherfucker. <laughs> you know, everybody, everybody's doing okay. Uh, yeah. It's a, you know, I, what I, I think with bands, the, like it, it, exactly set up, like you just described, like they kind of, they get a little heat on their career. They get the opportunity to kind of tour nationally and a little bit internationally and people become aware of them and maybe you got some fans and then they're fucking gone. And there's no follow-up. There's no like, here's this other thing that they all, that they, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you just don't, you don't hear a lot. I think sometimes, maybe not a lot, but I think sometimes the reason that, that that happens is because the bands are, are probably heartbroken to a, to a degree, <clears throat> maybe a little angry, maybe a little resentful about either the fact that the band broke up or why the band broke up or what, you know, and for, for some of these musicians that I've, that I've remained in touch with, they had some really amazing, they got to do amazing things in their career, but a lot of them are really happy to let the past kind of lie in the past and, and their goals are to move forward. And, uh, you know, I see that with a couple of the bands that you saw us on tour with, um, you know, they, they, they're out of music. Uh, and not in a bad way, but like, you know, they're fucking lawyers or real estate agents or insurance salesmen or, you know, craftsmen or so, you know, they, they like, they moved on to this other phase in their life and they're professionally successful and, uh, they seem to be fucking happy and they've got great families and home lives. And, you know, they, you know, it's unfortunate they might not be sharing music with the rest of us anymore, but they're doing okay. And they're pretty fucking happy. Yeah. And that's, and that's really the important part is, you know, unless you are just a, a household name of a band, yeah, you're probably going to have your moment in the sun and then it's probably going to, you're either going to pewter out or yeah. explode on top or whatever. But then, yeah, as long as you find what makes you happy in life and you move on to doing something else. Yeah. The rest of us are going to sit and go, Oh man, I'd really love to hear a new Flyleaf album, but they're done or, or fair to Midland disappeared off the face of the earth or why can't resident hero ever just make a reunion show just in my backyard because you guys are all shitty and moved far away. We can't have what we want, but you know, that's okay. As long as you guys are all happy, but you've moved on in your retirement well, from you. <laughs> I, I will, I will tell you this. I don't know if it's, I do, you know, COVID and shit, man. I don't know if it's all being actively pursued or not, but I will tell you this. And I hope maybe this wets your whistle a little bit. Uh, I haven't heard a lot of it, but these are a couple of things that I know have been going on in the past. Uh, Samir Bhattacharya from Flyleaf, guitar player for Flyleaf, mm -hmm. has a new band that he's been doing for a, a little while. Uh, and I believe, I believe it's called like the bell and the dragon or something like that. I'll have to fucking look it up. Like he sent me some shit on it. It's super fucking cool, but it's him and the drummer from POD. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and so Samir's been living in San Diego for like five or six years now, maybe a little longer. Uh, yeah, he moved to California. Um, and, and he's got a, a fucking pretty cool project that he's working on. Um, Brent. Uh, Brett and Matt Langley um, from Fair to Mid, the drummer and the keyboard player from Fair to Midland, they started a band together that's up in North Texas called Erstwhile. 
and they were doing some fucking cool shit too, man. Um, so while, you know, there's not necessarily, I don't know that there's ever going to be another fair to Midland record or another Flyleaf record. Uh, but I do know that a couple of people from those projects are, are working on some cool shit. Pat Seals uh, was in a band called the big story. I've heard of them. Yeah. 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 Like they, they did some cool shit. Um, that's Pat, you know, Pat fucking just kind of been jumping in and out of bands and doing his thing, man. He's, yeah. he's doing all right. Um, so yeah, man, like a handful of us are still out fucking, you know, making, making noise and badgering audiences occasionally and make a little bit of money in the process. Keep, keep on keeping on in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, fucking all you can do, man. it's all Pretty you can much. fucking do. Absolutely. 